You're listening to Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi. This is Yoshi, and I'm doing another road gig. And today I'm here with one of my closest friends and one of the underrated comedian, Earl Skakel. Earl, what's up? Um, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna record twice. Uh, one on the way down to the gig and driving back. Yeah, yeah. Because you have a lot of interesting stuff, and I know when you when I'm interviewing people, I, I sounds different and it sounds funny, but you really are an interesting person, and you're very modest. Like even just now, you told me something about you. Uh, you're very modest. I don't know. I don't know what to say. You you, you come from very distinguished and um, I mean very impressive family uh, family. But you really do. I mean you you smile, but especially if you compare it to what most of the comedians' background. My God. But my mom came from that background, right? Which is where I got my modesty. You know, she basically instilled in me that uh, we all shit out of the same hole. And she even said this to me once. I think Jesus said that. Well, uh, yeah, but he had a couple nails <laughs> attached to his hands. Uh, and she she once told me, Earl, there's always someone out there with more money, a bigger dick, uh, you know, so and a couple other things. She actually said that, and I'm like, mm-hmm. she's right. Um, well, you know, before we jump in, I, I'm very fast. So what, what is your dad and your mother's background? So what is your mother's mate, last last name, maiden last name? Um, Weinman. So, uh, what is that? W-E-I-N-M-A-N. So, okay. uh, Virginia Weinman, Jewish, uh, from Cartersville, Georgia, which I, I think they still have uh, lynchings there. Um, I'm headlining one in two weeks. Jesus. <laughs> I mean, you talk about. But, I mean, how far can you go back? Your mother's are they from Russia or what? Um, kind of Jew, what, what style of Jewish people are they? Um, well, I was raised Catholic, so a rabbi would say they were very poor Jews. Um, but know. like, what about her? You know, your grandparents, your mother's side, are they from? I never met them. My mom's dad was killed when she was nine. How? Um, a gun. Uh, I, you know, she never really talked about it. Basically, he was assassinated. He was a very popular uh, football coach in uh, Cartersville, Georgia. What? Yeah. So uh, she never talked about it. So I never asked. Um, and then her mom was kind of an alcoholic. Yeah. So uh, she never talked about her mom. So I, you know, once again, I never asked. And then uh, my. Do you know your grandparents? Like, are they from what? Uh, from. Canada? I don't know. I oh. mean, it literally, my family's very secretive and quiet. So if it's not brought up, it's right. You know, it's just not known. I mean, I know a little bit more about my dad's parents, even okay. though I never met them, um, because they died in a plane crash. What? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. So your your dad's parents died in a plane crash? Yeah, they would. Uh, my dad's company at the time uh, would go on these um, hunting trips. Okay. And uh, they took the company plane, and it crashed in uh, Oklahoma in the, like the late fifties, and killed everyone on board. And I'm actually named after my dad's best friend. My middle name is R A N F T Ranft. Uh-huh. And uh, my dad's best friend was named Earl Ranft, and he died in a separate plane crash. 
so it's no wonder I don't like flying planes it's interesting you know you know the story about um oh Jesus what am I forgetting the guy used to host a show um right after Daily Show um he's taking over the Letterman spot uh, um I'm blanking I don't watch Comedy Central um until I'm on you know he played this blowhard conservative guy but Colbert Colbert his per- uh, family member got killed in a plane accident I think dad a brother and maybe one other sibling so ever since then he's been uh skeptic of government regulation things like that you know I, I think there was some kind of mechanical problem but you know, you're just a kid, and you this happened to you, and you do question about religion and things like that. So anyway, um, I had no idea the, the, the situation with uh, your grandparents. You know what's interesting? Um, Russell Peters, uh, I think on the mother's side, I think either. So this this makes his mom's dad, uh, grandfather, got a divorce, moved to Australia. And he was killed as a security guard in Australia. So when I when I opened for him in Australia, and when he went there for the first time, we, we actually met that side of family he never met. But it was, oh wow! It was very strange. Like, um, yeah, these things does happen. Um, so these these things must have an effect on your parents, right? I mean, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I was raised. Uh, I I love both my parents. Uh, but they—it uh, wasn't a traditional uh, beaver cleaver yeah. uh, environment. I mean, my dad kind of was a like a grizzly bear. He's very silent. Yeah, he didn't really have to say much to get you to do what he wanted. Right. <laughs> so. Uh, well, was he young when that thing happened with his parents? Um, well, I, I mean, he was probably—I uh, mean, in the fifties, he was probably in his thirties. I see. So uh, I don't care. That's always still hard, man. Oh yeah, yeah, it's never easy. Not like that, losing like that. Um, so it, it, it's and my mom was kind of a southern. My mom was so southern, people thought she was black when they would talk to her over the phone. Really? She had a very incredibly thick uh, southern accent. So was she like a southern belle? Like, yes. Uh, yeah. She was a model when she was younger, and uh, like a you know, my dad was very, very two very good looking parents. I mean. I mean, my dad wasn't a model, but he could have been. So he... He could have been a Marlboro man-like type Right. Model. The silent type. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was... You know, he's... Uh, his life is in- insane. Like, uh, he was on the cover of Life magazine in the 60s. For, oh, I think he told me that. For what? what, what? He... Uh, I might not get the story completely factual, but he basically... Uh, the like, first porn star. Yeah, he was the first guy to do double anal on uh, eight eight millimeter. Um, he uh, Life Magazine wanted to do a story uh, about the American man and right. is, is the American man still tough? Yeah. And so they followed my dad down to like Cuba and he killed a whale. Uh, Are they, you making this up? No, no. It's a, anyone can. Uh, <laughs> So, so he's kind of like Hemingway-esque. Yeah, yeah. and I have to apologize. Uh, I'm sure people listening are hearing this roar in the background. That's my uh, muffler. It's, you know, I have uh, a tricked-out muffler, so I'm sorry about that. So he went to Cuba. He, he goes to Cuba, kills, and when I say a whale, I mean a full-sized killer uh, whale. Right. Um, I'll show you how big this was uh, at my 
childhood home, uh, we had a you know a, a swimming pool, you know, yeah. uh, pretty big pool. Like I wouldn't say Olympic size, but a very big pool. Yeah. And the whale's jaw lines ran down the side of the pool, like he put. We used them as seats. <laughs> So it was, you know, two huge jawbones yeah. of a killer whale, and people would sit on it, and I think later on do some booger sugar in the '80s. But you know, that was uh, how. You know, when I tell people a whale, they're like, "Oh, well, it was just a baby whale, right?" It was. It, and if you look, uh, I guess you uh, have to Google uh, James Skakel uh, whale, and I'm sure pictures will pop up. Wow. So he's from Oklahoma. No, no. Uh, the plane, uh, the crash oh, was. Uh, he's uh, his family was from Chicago, Illinois, mm-hmm. and then they relocated to uh, Greenwich, Connecticut, and uh, that's where the uh, Skakel uh, home base was. Yeah, for many years, and, uh, and then my mom uh, somehow they met uh, Bobby Kennedy. Uh, well, I mean, I don't know how my mom and dad originally hooked up, to be honest with you, because she right. was from Georgia. I think she she might have had family in Greenwich. Yeah. And so that's how my mom and dad met. And then, yeah. uh, you know, uh, my dad's sister, uh, of course, Ethel Skakel, uh, ended up marrying Bobby Kennedy, the second uh, Kennedy uh, brother assassinated. Yeah. So that's where the Kennedy uh, Skakel, uh, yeah. whatever you want to call it, I wouldn't say alliance, but... And I, I gotta tell you, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, love history. And for most Japanese, when they look Kennedy, you know, it's it's re-romanticized that whole family, you know. So um, I did read. I mean, my my recollection is not as good as let's say 20 years ago because I did read a lot of books back in those days. But when I first met you, I reckon right away recognized your last name, you know. Because it's very distinct. I mean, I don't know what that is. Is it German or... It's like Irish, Irish. German. But the funny thing is, is that it, it, back then, the, the, although the Kennedy family was certainly more known, yeah. uh, the Skagel family probably had more money and, and power on the East Coast, certainly, because of uh, my grandfather's company. Right. Um, I think at the time, it was one of the, if not the largest, privately owned company in the world. Right. Uh, now certainly you have like Microsoft and you know, sure. billion. I mean, but uh, you know, so uh, Skakel's actually probably had more money back. Right. Then. And I've been to Greenwich, and it's very popular. It's one of the highest per capita income area in the country. The reason is it's the last train stop before you enter New York City. Many of the hedge fund companies in Greenwich because they don't want to pay state tax in New York City. So you have many prominent companies there. Very uh, exclusive area. I've driven through it. It's fantastic. Oh, my God. It's, it's basically what Holmby Hills is out yeah. here. Uh, Holmby Hills makes people in Bel Air and Beverly Hills look poor, right? Because I've been to one of the houses. My friend was a construction manager, and he took me there. And it, it was owned by the guy who produced Fridays. And I couldn't believe how big the maids' rooms were. It was so fancy, you know? Well, it depends. I mean, you know, there's so many rich people in this city that, yeah. I mean, I remember once I went to a gangbang at, uh, what was it, one of the Murdoch uh, houses in Bel Air. And uh, it wasn't like an organized gangbang. It was just that's what it ended up being. What is it, Murdoch? You mean Ripper Murdoch? Uh, yeah, I think it was Justin Murdoch's house. Uh, oh, no. 
Yeah. I don't know if I want to my friend's friends with him, so... No, no, I don't know him, but, I mean, just to show you the wealth and the craziness of, of that family, I'll, I'll never forget being in this house yeah. and going, this is the nicest house I've ever been in. And right. the guy looks at me and goes, bro, this is the pool house. It was the pool house I was in. And it was bigger than most people's homes. Right. Huge TV, uh, you know, like a wall TV, yeah. and, and God knows what the rest of the house looked like. So, uh, so is it safe to say? Um, did you ever see the movie Born Rich or One Percent? Seen it. I lived it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. So you've seen it, right? I have not. Okay. Two documentaries made by uh, Jamie Johnson, the descendant of Johnson Johnson Fortune. And to me, it's a remarkable documentary because rich people, one thing rich people don't like, that they don't want to talk about their business with people who are not rich. The rich among rich, you know, it's understood. You don't have to talk about it. They're rich, you know what I mean? But he was able to make a documentary within all the super wealthy blue blood family in New York City. But I, I, well, I think, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Donald Trump loves to talk about how much money he has to poor people, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's basically his campaign platform. <laughs> I've got more money than you. But I, I noticed, like, other kids, it's funny you say Donald Trump because Ivanka Trump was in the documentary, but um, they have certain flair. Rick Flair? <laughs> But I mean, rich is like, uh, to me, in this, like my, I've had, my family, when I tell people yeah. we were upper middle class, yeah, they're like, no, you guys were rich. You lived in Bel Air. Yeah. You played golf at the Bel Air Country Club. Right. And that's true. True. But my dad bought the Bel Air home in the early 60s. Right. Very famous uh, Bel Air fire happened. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Literally every house in Bel Air was burnt down but ours. Really? So we basically lucked out. Right. And then Bel Air became the Bel Air it is today. Sure. Uh, you know, like our neighbors were Stallone, uh, Vidal Sassoon, um, James Kahn, Kareem, yeah. OJ before he went nuts. Yeah. OJ used to throw me the football as a kid. What? I got no problem with OJ. He could hell, throw a hell of a spiral. Uh, with a knife or football. It's strange because, uh, not strange, but, you know, Eddie Heft. Yeah, yeah, I was supposed to do his podcast, but we got, uh, he came up to me at the comedy store and he's like, I hear you have some great stories. <laughs> and uh, we haven't connected yet, but very nice guy. Very nice guy. He, uh, his dad was a big contributor for University of Pittsburgh for football. And every morning he remembered during the summertime, Jimmy Johnson, and I mean that Dallas Cowboy Jimmy Johnson used to go into his room, wake him up in the morning for like morning practice and shit like that. He kind of casually mentioned it because to him that was just like regular thing, hanging out with Dan Marino and things like that. Yeah, um, I mean it's, as a kid, like, I knew O.J. Simpson was famous. Yeah. But yeah, he's also your neighbor. Because this is the height of the Hertz commercials yeah. and... Uh, right, running through the airport. I think in that, uh, they should have done one where he's running through Brentwood. Um, <laughs> but I guess uh, Hertz, Hertz had moved on. But like I, I, I used to see Kareem a lot jogging in the neighborhood, which was crazy to see. I'll never forget the image. He had his, like, do, like I guess what would be considered dolphin shorts. Mm-hmm. 
and his, his head had his goggles on yeah. and no nothing else just you know and so to see this seven foot two black dude uh, jogging in Bel Air and there were no black people in Bel Air at the right. time uh, I mean literally it was Kareem and, Le- and OJ and Leroy the guy who took me to school uh, and uh, so you know it was just but to me it was just oh that's Kareem yeah and it's not your fault that's your background you think that's just kind of common normal thing oh yeah, yeah. I mean you know I mean it was uh, and then to play golf at Bel Air Country Club you know which I think now is don't quote me on the price. It's something like two hundred and fifty grand to join. Right. My dad paid like twenty three hundred dollars. Right. So it's like, you know, I was very, very lucky to to be able to do things that most people couldn't do. Right. But my dad, you know, just made got, it possible for everyone. Well, yeah. he got in at the right time. I mean, I don't think my dad would have paid two hundred and fifty grand to play golf, but right. you know, he didn't have to. So. And, you know, I want to talk one more football thing. I want to get back into your family thing. I have questions for you. So, you were telling me a very amusing story about somehow your dad knew the Roonies who own Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I'm guessing through business. Uh, My dad didn't really talk about business a lot, at least with me. So, uh, you know, he knew Art Rooney, the original owner of the Steelers. And uh, Oh, my God. uh, Yeah, I mean, like... The Art Rooney. Yeah. Not Art Rooney Jr., like Art Rooney. And then Jr. later on became ambassador to Ireland. Yeah. yeah. And then I think there's Dan Rooney, and, yeah. uh, you know, the, the Rooney family still owns the Steelers. Absolutely. Um, so each year the Steelers would win uh, the Super Bowl, and then, of course, they won four in six years. Uh, nine Hall of Fame players uh, on the 22 man roster. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy when you think. Like, you can never have that team today with the salary cap. Right. I mean, nine Hall of Famers on one roster. And you know what was weird? The one year that they didn't go and win the Super Bowl, they probably had the best team out of all of the years they won Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. That's uh, like the L.A. Kings. Uh, you know, they've won two out, two out of the last uh, four cups. Yeah. And that, you know, that middle year where they didn't get it was probably their best team. Yeah. It's always weird like that. Um so somehow your dad knew them. So then every year they would win a Super Bowl, I would get an autographed football from the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, probably 30, 30 of the 40 guys, I'm sure, some went around. When, and what happened to those signing items? Well, of course, there was no eBay back then. There was no internet. We're talking yeah. the, the 70s, early, yeah. not early 80s, but, you know, 76 to 80, basically. And uh, I... You know, even though I have uh, two brothers and two sisters, we were kind of raised like wolves. Yeah. You know, we ate alone. We played with ourselves alone. Yeah. You know, I didn't really have anyone to play catch with. Right. So we had a brick wall in our backyard, and I would stand about 15 feet from it. Yeah. Through the pro- trial of a process and error, and I would throw the fo- every year I would throw the football I would get pretending I was Terry Bradshaw against the brick wall and it would bounce to me perfectly. Right. So I played catch with myself with balls that today... Oh God! Simon If these balls were around today and in mint condition, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, uh, 20 grand each maybe? I would, I would just, never have sold them though, yeah. but that's what they probably are worth. It's just... What do you call them? Like a family heirloom? Something you pass on to your yeah. kids, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I have some pretty valuable uh, sports memorabilia. Like, yeah. 
uh, baseballs. I think one signed by Whitey Ford, and, and you know, uh, I, I don't have a lot of autographed baseballs, but I, I do have uh, my favorite one though. And this just goes to show you my uh, my favorite baseball player as a kid. Uh, well, my favorite was Dave Parker, but my second favorite was uh, Ken Griffey. Oh, I love Ken Griffey. I'm a Mariners fan. So no, but I mean Ken Griffey, his oh, the dad, senior. yeah, for Cincinnati. And he, I have a baseball that he signed to me, two Earl, and that's probably literally. How did that happen? Uh, my dad knew the owner at the time of the Cincinnati Reds, not Mars Shot, but I think his name she would was. Have been perfect friend for you. Oh my gosh, that I mean I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if I was related to her. I mean she has some good views. I mean. <laughs> For I mean, of, for those of you too young to remember, she had a very interesting racial uh, opinions about difference in race. Well, she said Hitler made some good points. He just went too far. I mean, <laughs> that's exactly what she said. And, and you got to admit, Hitler was a hell of a public speaker. I mean, he really could entertain a crowd. And we are driving in the freeway. He was a supporter of a national highway. Yeah, I mean, he. You know, if you think about it. Hitler had some ties to the comedy community because he ran the first Bringer show. <laughs> Six million. I mean, that's a hell of a crowd. I mean, you know what? You go. You could say that because you're Jewish. Yeah, I mean, I'm Jewish, so everyone relax. Obviously, I'm not pro Hitler. He did go too far, but I mean, he was like a modern day Tony Robbins. I mean, he really could capture a crowd, literally capture. <laughs> now. Well, this is amazing. I, I didn't even know any of this stuff until today. Um, but can, can for, for my selfish reason, so it's your dad's sister Ethel, and do you? I mean, uh, how close are you? Pretty close with her, or no? no? I mean, uh, I no, I love her, uh, but I literally have um, seen her. The last two times I've seen her were at my mom and dad's funerals, which which were two months apart. Yeah. In uh, 98, 1998. And uh, before that, I hadn't seen her for 10 years. Um, Is there any part of you like to kind of like, I think it would be kind of nice to visit her. Is that something you... Oh, I would love to, but she's. I think she's uh, either in Florida or Connecticut. But, I mean, if you show up, you... you oh, they would let me in the house. Yeah. Um... I mean, you're her nephew, for God's sake, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we, uh, you know, my mom and dad, probably more my mom, kept me away from uh, my East Coast cousins for a very long time. Just Why is that? I don't think she really liked them, and they probably didn't like her either. I mean, she was like a country bumpkin. Uh, you know, it really could have been a sitcom. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, some country bumpkin growing up in Bel Air. Uh so, you know, I, I just wasn't really raised around my uh, cousins. I mean, they would come and visit sometimes. And uh, I remember one time I was having uh, lunch with my dad at the Bel Air Hotel. Yeah. And uh, Ethel walked in, and uh, the waiter comes over to my dad and says, Hey, Mr. Skakel, your sister's here. She'd like to come over. And my dad was like, Nah. So they had a... You know, kind of a weird uh, relationship at, oh, I didn't at, know that. at times, uh-huh. but they loved each other. Sure. You know. Uh, by the way, my friend who does audio stuff on my podcast, Freddie Korea. Oh, he's the best. He's a big fan of yours. He also have a really good podcast. I think. Did you do his uh, Thanks for Invite podcast? That uh, I think I did uh, something. I sent him a sound file or something. Uh, well, he's a big fan, and I forgot he wanted to mention his name attached to it. 
And he does a great Earl imitation. Does he? Oh, his imitation of me is frightening. Because I'm not that hard to imitate. You know, I'm. A lot of people ask me if I'm high, and I've never done anything in my life, drug-wise or alcohol. So this is just how I talk. So well, you know what? Um, this is not obviously good radio slash podcast, but who cares? Um, if there was a show similar to Mad Men, with that glasses that you're wearing, you could have easily played a character from '60s. You know what I'm talking uh, about? My view is the '50s. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Because you know, I play that character Tuesday nights. Uh, at the roast battle at the comedy store, the house hater slash racist, and it's it's really a, a mocking white people. But right. you know, because I, I my favorite TV show of all time is uh, All in the Family. Oh, it's great! How could you not? I mean, I don't think there there'll never be another show to top that. The writing, the especially given the time that it was, you know, on the air, and yeah. I mean, they said the N word on that show several times, but it meant something. Like it wasn't just. I uh, just say the N word for shock. What is his name? Something old Carol. Uh, uh, Carol O'Connor. Yeah. I mean, that's when. Funny people... thing is, he's such a super bleeding hard liberal. Yeah. You know, but he was playing this racist, but um... out of control Republican. Yeah. Which is kind of like my character on the roast battle at the comedy store. I mean, I'm actually uh, you know fairly nice guy and all that stuff, but you know, on that show, I I play like some just out of control. You know, homophobic, racist character that I'm actually making fun of those people. Sure. So, I mean, I almost got into a fight one night. This pretty big black dude comes up to me after the show and he's like, Yo, man, what's with the racist bullshit? I'm like, It's a character, you know, like Archie Bunker. And he looked at me and goes, Who the fuck is Archie Bunker? I'm like, Oh boy, this is, uh, yeah, you know, it's a character. I think when people respond like that, I just question their intelligence and like lacking awareness, you know. Well, they, you know, this guy, I didn't say this to him because I didn't want to get into a fight, but yeah. it's like, dude, you've got to be insane to think I'm really meaning the things I'm saying. Right. Uh, so, you know, it, it's just. Uh, also, Believe me, you're not the only one. I mean, there's, I don't know how many different comedians have to deal with killing Joe and people take it seriously, you know. Same thing Esther, Esther Krul was telling me, like, a lot of Asian guys hate her because of things that she talk about on stage. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's just jokes, and, like, you, you, like, if you have any sign of intelligence, you'll realize that, like, Archie Bunker was yeah. uh, satire. I mean, he was actually making fun of white people for sure. being ignorant. Same thing with the Jeffersons. He was like a black Archie Bunker. You know, but some people are like, well, this Jefferson's made blacks look bad, uh, you know, and, and good times. Sure. And it's like, actually, show. oh, well, good times. You know, another Norman Lear show that, you know, was satire. What's happening was, was a, you know, although a little more lighter hearted than good times was another show that was just like and when we agree like last 50 years Norman Lear had to be top 2 or 3 most influential people in comedy right oh I think he's no one touches him I mean he's just fucking massive uh, but given like especially given the time that yeah. he, you know it's like 
you know, like I watched Sons of Anarchy. That's probably my favorite show of the last five years. Yeah. And, you know, they said the N-word on that show every now and then. Sure. Uh, it would be strange if they did. Well, yeah, especially given Outlaw Bikers. Yeah. But, you know, they got away with it because it's, you know, 2015. But, you know, to, to say, like, the N-word or to have a character like Archie Bunker, who was kind of homophobic, too, in the 70s, you know, it's like, that. that's on another level. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely, um, we definitely are living a different time. So, um, when did, when did it occur to you, like, I mean, I, 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 don't, I can't even relate because I don't, my family's not distinguished at all, but, like, when did you realize, like, wow, this is like, like crazy that my aunt was married to a man, almost became a president of the United States? I mean, it was never that big of a deal to me, uh, right? uh, just because we weren't... I mean, he was, he was uh, I mean, sadly, he was murdered in L.A. Well, I mean, they probably shouldn't have had Rosie Greer be the lead bodyguard. I mean, it's... If I'm going to have a bodyguard, it's not going to be a 400-pound ex-NFL player who's got arthritis. Right. Uh, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, you were born what year? 68, so I was born... Well, that's, that's, that's the year. Uh, I think two months before he got uh, killed. So, but, you know, in... Uh, you know, I think because I was raised out in Los Angeles, the Kennedys weren't quite... I think if I was raised on the East Coast, I, yeah. you know, it would have been a little different. But uh, well, I, I, I just think uh, I think it might have been good that you started. I'm assuming you started comedy in LA. I mean, uh, I wish I didn't because uh, you know. Yes, I did. I started out here. I mean, I, I mean, I think it would have been weird if you started doing comedy in Boston with your last name. I would. Uh, well, I probably would have made it by now. <laughs> oh my god! So you know. Um, but yeah, I started comedy in L.A. And yeah. I mean, L.A. is the worst city in the world to start, start. comedy in. Because you're basically... You know, you're out here with comics who've made it already. Yeah. So, you know, even to get stage time at an open mic, it's like you have to have connections. You well, know. you got to drive really far. Oh, yeah, like yeah. we're doing tonight. Yeah. Uh, we're doing a show out in Fullerton, which yeah. is, you know, for free, 40, 50 minutes, an hour away from where we live. And, uh, you know, I... I'm happy to do it. So, uh, you know, to get stage time at the Comedy Store Improv Laugh Factory or, sure. you know, you have to have TV credits. Um, so, where did you go to high school? Uh, Notre Dame High, uh, which is uh, Sherman Oaks. Uh, is that a private school? A private school. My mom didn't want me going to Beverly or Loyola because they were snobby. But well, that's a public school in Beverly Hills. Uh, Beverly's a public school, but it's probably uh, per per student the richest, might be the richest high school in the world. Yeah. I mean, when you consider that, you know, the neighborhood that it's in. and, and You were okay going to the school in Sherman Oaks? No, I didn't really have a feeling on it. I mean, I, get, I wanted to go to Loyola because uh, all my friends from my grade school uh, went there. For the most part, went there, and then uh, all the girls. It's an all boys school. Yeah. Uh, and uh, actually, Notre Dame was an all-boys school the first year. Yeah. And then uh, I remember at the end of the year, the the dean, you know, he I didn't get any uh, bad marks, yeah. no uh, detentions my first year, so he called me in to give me some certificate. Right. And I remember uh, saying, "Hey, you better get some chicks in here. You're gonna raise a lot of fags the next yeah. three years." And uh, next year. Uh, 
a girls' school closed, so we got all the girls. I see. So, uh, you know, that was interesting. And, uh, you know, that's uh, where I went to high school. I mean, not, there's nothing really uh, great to say about Notre Dame. I mean, uh, we had a few celebrities. Uh, I mean, uh, probably the most famous person to go there was the baseball pitcher Jack McDowell. Who uh, I think won a Cy Young Award in the late '80s. Oh wow! So, uh, I mean, I got fired from announcing the high school baseball games because I couldn't read the uh, lineup cards, so I would right. just make up the names. <laughs> you know, now batting for Crespi High, John uh, Cocktoaston. You know, and like J- Joe Jim J- Jimison. What was what, what was it like? What were you like in high school? Uh, I was, were you the, the funny kid? I was a class clown. Yeah. I mean, like, I got... Uh, I think I got a few votes for high school president, even though I didn't run. Just oh, wow. And uh, was not a ladies' man uh, at all, but the, I... My first girlfriend was was incredibly, incredibly beautiful. Uh, but she, she big tits? No, I mean, uh, well, she might... I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, she, had a, she, was, she was hot. I mean, she yeah. was model hot, but... I was such a nerd at Notre Dame. I, this girl, this girl I went to grade school with, yeah. and uh, I think someone showed her my picture uh, freshman year, and uh, you know she, uh, I think she left my grade school in sixth grade, went somewhere else, and then uh, we reconnected. And uh, I remember our first date. You know, I opened the door to her house, and she had on. This is 1983, so she was dressed like a valley girl, like skirt, like. Yeah, I can't believe her parents let her leave the house like this. Uh, skirt where you could, like, it was like, you know, you could see a lot. And uh, I was like, uh, my heart stopped. <laughs> and my boner started. So you went, you went to high school. Um, sounds like you didn't have major problems. Not really. I mean, I wasn't the best student. I was no. an average student. Uh, not very good with women at my high school. I mean, I was horrible, but... I don't think anyone would have believed the girlfriend I had sophomore year because mm-hmm. uh, she went to Westlake out in West L.A. So my... I didn't have the greatest high school because, like, all my friends were on the other side of the hill. Sure. And, you know, the one girlfriend I had was out here, so I, I really didn't socialize a lot at, at my own high school. But I was popular because I made everyone laugh. Right. And I had the nicest car in the high school, so... So, when you graduated from high school, what did you did you go to college? Or what? I fucked around for probably about four years at uh, SMC, Santa Monica Junior College, yeah. and uh, after a while, I think like and it was ranked like top ten. College. Yeah, no, it's a very yeah. good junior. It's probably it's better than a lot of colleges. Sure. Uh, but I just knew high school or uh, college wasn't for me. Yeah. You know, I just, I reached a point where it's, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew it just, further schooling was not getting me uh, anywhere else. Did your parents put any sort of pressure on you or? Um, not really. They didn't care. Uh, you know, they just didn't want me to do drugs. So, uh, as long as they didn't drink or do drugs, they were happy with that. All right. And then, uh, you know, uh, they moved to Florida. I graduated at Notre Dame in 86. Right. They moved to Florida in 88. So, uh, you know, they, you know, I was pretty much, uh, by the time I was 20, living on my own. And, right. Uh, 
like I said, as long as I didn't drink or do anything bad, they didn't they didn't really care what I did. So what what, what did you do until the day you decided to do stand up? The first stand up. Uh, I was a private trainer, got fully certified, yeah. and uh, you know did that for years, and, and I liked it because it is neat to help someone. Right. Uh, but then uh, I remember I was training one day, and I saw this trainer he's probably in his early 50s and he looks miserable right and I was like I don't want to be like that and then uh, at the time now this is the probably the late 90s um, I all my friends were in the industry uh, ICM William Morris UTA uh, triad uh, you know the big the biggest agencies right <laughs> that uh, yeah that was a huge I think Roseanne was with them and yeah. I mean, a huge, huge. Uh, and they were all like, Earl, you're funnier than any of our clients. Get into stand-up. We'll help you. You know, you start, and then, you know. We'll like, help. And then, so I start. That's what really got me started. And then, literally, like, six months in, they all quit the business to get into real estate. So, uh, I kind of floundered for, you might say, as long as a decade before I started to figure out the business. Right. I, I got to hand it to you, uh, I don't know, it got a little murky for me, like 2007 and 8, dealing with my stuff, but I'm glad you stuck by a comedy store, you know, you were there when things were really rough, and maybe some questionable people running it, but you're okay regular now? Well, I mean, there were definitely questionable people running, uh, I mean, uh, the, the talent coordinator was a fucking racist pig, right. who, uh... You know, abuse his power. Uh, let's just say I, I don't want to get sued, but uh, let's just say uh, he had some interesting accounting methods. Right. Uh, so uh, I, you know, I, you know, he he uh, got fired about a year ago. So well, has uh, it been that long? Um, yeah, I mean, I got passed in December. But I think he got fired uh, maybe August or September of 2014. I see. So, and he was never going to pass me. He hated me for some reason. Uh, yeah, he was just a bad dude. Because I saw you yesterday. It was funny. And it was really interesting. It was interesting because some of the reference, like some of the young people that couldn't didn't get it, that made me laugh. But that's why I think I they get, I mean, like I do a lot of wacky 80s references. And uh, the younger crowds laugh, even though they don't get it, because I think they see my enthusiasm right. for doing a joke about an 80s band I like. Right. And they literally probably weren't born until the mid-90s. So, you know, it's like if someone made a joke when I was 20 about Bill Haley and the Comets, I'd be like, who the fuck are they? So, you know, I mean, it's it's great to be at the comedy store finally. Right. But, you know, it's not... It's like with anything. It's, it's what you do with it. You know, so hopefully... Uh, I never got the vibe really well, but, like, you know, a couple of people have been telling me to come back. Not come back. I mean, I was never there, but you were saying it. A bunch of my good friends are there all the time. And I have to say, the vibe is absolutely different. You know, I really have the Rogans back. Yeah, and, I mean, he wouldn't have... You know, uh, the old uh, town coordinator, like, I think he called Rogan, like, a faggot or something. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sure Joe was like, what? Who are you? What? 
Uh, well, I don't need this place. I don't think you could be any more manly than Rogan. Oh, yeah, I mean, but I mean, it's like, why would you talk to one of the, you know, at that time, he was on Fear Factor. Yeah. Uh, The UFC was just starting to fucking blow up. And, you know, Joe's the voice of the UFC. He's on TV shows, radio, man show. You know. uh, A couple years later. Yeah, the man show was, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, starting to get huge. Yeah. you know, the, the old talent coordinator would like, why would you make an enemy out of uh, probably... Guy so honest and honorable. But yeah. the, probably the hottest comic in the world right. at that time. And then t- to this day, uh, and, you know, like, he also once told Rob Schneider to uh, come on Sundays and Mondays to work out. Yeah. Now, that's basically, the, the at that time, the open mic night. Yeah. So you're telling a guy... Who could literally, you know, sell out any room in the country you're on name? Talking about the guy who was the old coordinator. Yeah, yeah, the old coordinator. You're, you're telling a guy in Rob Schneider. Dozens and dozens of movies. I, I mean, uh, who on name alone could sell out a room? Yeah. Um. You know, yeah, come and and hang out with the open micers. And you know, there's many other uh, big name. Uh, Talents that he kind of just blew off, you know. Yeah. Uh, told Bert Kreischer he should work the parking lot. You know, uh, t- said Louis C.K. was nothing but a writer. Um, so you know, he, he shit on the industry to be cool, and it wasn't cool. And you know, he passed people. You know, he passed one guy who just gave him weed. Yeah. Uh, literally, I mean, that's the only reason this guy was passed. And he passed another guy who gave him studio time, you know, and it's like... Uh, it really was abuse. Oh, it was. And he would fuck with people like me. He, um... He would encourage me to come yeah. and hang out all night, and he had no intention of passing me, ever. So it's like, why do that? I wasn't even really that upset about not getting passed. It was, don't fuck with my head. Yeah. You know, it's like... I, I just don't want to say why he chose to go that route. Well, because he could. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like, there are certain people who would never do that, give you an opportunity, you know? Like, well, like Adam. And, and, you know, I'm friends with Adam in full disclosure. So, yeah. I mean... Uh, but i got to tell you, everyone will say how great he is. Because he's including, honest. In, including people who hasn't been passed, you know? But, I mean, even the people in the... You know, they might not say it now, but... Yeah. You know, Adam is very uh, straightforward right. w- with people. He will say, listen, you're not my type of comic. You're... Holy shit, we're driving through uh, New York Disneyland. I know, I, I think I missed a turn here. Oh. Uh, I'm not complaining, I love Disneyland. No, no, I'm, uh, but I mean, that's what I love about him the most. Yeah. And, and it, it's like when he uh, gave me the showcase, he, he said to me, hey man, you know, we're good friends, but you know, you have to go through the the steps of that anyone else would have to and yeah, to keep the integrity and principle yeah, of it. you're yeah. not just going to get past you know uh, I, I think I think this is good because in the last three months uh, before Letterman, Dave Letterman finished his show he'll reminisce all the things in past all the great time right and some of his friends from the 70s when they were working comedy store but he keep mentioning comedy store and I think people start realizing how important that club was and is 
and continue to be. And I'm glad this is like a shitty sports team that turned around with the fire and the GM. You know what I mean? The brand is coming back, I think. Yeah, and he's you know uh, he's just bringing in people that should have been performing here years ago. Yeah. And, you know, and there's a buzz and and you know when you walk into that room and you see back to back to back David Spade, Rob Schneider, Judd Apatow. Yeah. You know, it's that's you know it's great. And that's you know, you know the person whose spots are going to be taken the first are going to be mine because I'm new, right? And I still think that that's the way to do it. You know, you, you know, it's just competitive business. I mean, you've got the improv, laugh factory, and comedy store sure. literally within two miles of each other. And uh, I think it's good, like once one club, you know how it is, like NFC West, Seahawks, uh, Cardinals, Rams. And 49ers When the other teams are good Yes it's a headache Because you're competing With the uh, tougher teams But it makes you better As a team But you, yeah, you, yeah. You, you put better quality Out there It's it's, it's better for It put it makes the other Two clubs to You know Keep up The and, quality Yeah yeah I mean You know and, and I just You know The other Talent coordinator Was so fucking bad That you know, none of this stuff that's happening at the store now mm-hmm. would be happening if he if he were there. Sure. I mean, I don't think I would have come back. But I mean, like Gerard Carmichael's special wouldn't have been filmed there. Yeah. Louis C.K.'s special wouldn't have been filmed there. Ari Shafir's special wouldn't have been filmed there. Um, you know, Rogan's back now, and and you know, it, it, it's you know he does these shows in the belly room. It's standing yeah. room only. Uh, it's great. But, the, like, the hottest show probably in the country, uh, Roast Battle. And yeah. I'm, I'm not just saying that because I'm a part of that show, but it's standing room only every week. And for a show, as you know, yeah. two years in, you, you know, usually the show fades in and out. Right. Um, you know, that uh, would uh, that happened on uh, the guy's off night, you know, which is no accident, I don't think. Um, it's produced by what? Uh, Jeffrey Ross? Uh, Brian Moses, uh, Jeff Ross, and Rel Battle. It's like a combination of those three. But, yeah. you know, I don't think it's any accident that that show happened on, you know, the previous talent coordinator's off night. Right. Um, so it's just, I mean, Adam's like... And, you know, even with the... You know, basically how it works at the comedy store in terms of getting past is it's it's a it's a fairly involved process now. Yeah. It's, it's five steps. It's you do potluck, um, friends and family, uh, development spots, showcase, past. So it's like a five tiered yeah uh, thing. So you know, even you know the people who are getting potluck now are like comics you've seen on TV. Right, you know, in development spots, it's Tommy or uh, Adam's reaching out to people who. Well, is is Adam comic? No, no, he's just you know his background was from the Tempe Improv. He used to manage that, and so he. Okay, he, so he's seen a lot of good comedy too. So yeah, I mean, okay. he came from a comedy background, whereas right. the other dude and I, you know, people uh, would say I'm talking shit about the other guy. But well, I'm sure he was talking a lot of shit about you guys, too. But, I mean, this is factual. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily look at it as talking shit, but, you know, he is a failed musician mm-hmm. who, I think, got in a position of power and, 
you know, he shit on a lot of funny people. And he was not account- accountable uh, for a lot of it, sounds like. Well, he had no comedy background. Right. I mean, literally, he was the phone guy. And then uh, Duncan Trussell, who's a great comic, great podcaster, he left. And it was basically, from what I understand, they looked around and said, well, how about this guy? I mean, he had no background in comedy. Zero. Wait, Duncan used to be the coordinator? Duncan used to be the town coordinator before uh, Tommy. I didn't know that. Yeah. And how long did Tommy do it for? Um, I think close to ten years. So holy fuck, no wonder. You know, it just—I don't know. Doing his reign, he was always nice to me. I'm not gonna take anything away from him, but it always felt a little weird vibe to the place. And I just—I just didn't like where it was going. Because one time I went, I don't want to name names, but one of the comedians was chasing another comedian room. It was like it wasn't—it wasn't fun either. It was very uncomfortable. But I mean, Tommy allowed that kind of shit. He got off on like, like he encouraged me to come. Like one night, and this is a typical story, and I'm, many comics would sit here and tell you similar stories. He comes yeah. up, he comes up to me one night, yeah. says, "Well, I like what you're doing late night. I want to see you in the room's building. That's a good, that's a good impression. Come, come tomorrow night, nine thirty. I'll put you up. See what you can do when the crowd's hot. See, okay." <laughs> So I get, you know, out of respect for him coming yeah. up to me, yeah. I show up at nine thirty. Guess what time I went on? Uh, one forty-five. Two fifteen. Oh. And he loved it. He loved seeing me walk around with that get that yeah. eager, like, hey, I get to go up soon. Yeah. And, see, here's my thing, and I don't really even care that I went up at two fifteen. Just tell me, be here too. Yeah, tell me. Like, this is what Adam will say something like this. And I, I'm not speaking for him. I'm just giving you a general idea of the difference between the right. two. Adam will go up to you and say, hey, man, uh, there's a lot of people ahead of you in line. Um, I got probably 30, 40 comics ahead of you. If you want to show up late on Monday, I can probably get you on. But even that, no promise. Yeah. So at least you go up there Monday late with the expectation of, I might get on, I might not, but at least right. I know that. Tommy would... I'm deliberately telling you to come early. because he got off on yeah. it. And there's just no... There's just no need for that. Zero need. So, you know, and... You know, I had someone uh, I was recently talking to... Can I tell you something funny? Yeah. This is a medical lab that I go... And, well, I don't, I don't want to name names because I'm in trouble. Blank clinical trials? Yeah. The longest I've spent is 25 days in there. Oh, really? Yeah, that's where I make my money. Yeah, it's all good, man. Um, so uh, I'm surprised that we drove this way. Um, well, you know what? I, I, I think uh, we're, what, a couple minutes away from the place we're going? Yeah, right? like five minutes. Okay, uh, I'm going to read two different episodes. I think this is about interest. Uh, you, you told me some interesting stuff about your family. Uh, I like the struggle in explaining how comedy store works. I think there's a lot of comedians listen to this in overseas. Um, but I mean, I really want to like. So I had this conversation the other day with a friend after the comedy store, and yeah, you, you know, I mean, I've certainly talked about Tommy a few times on my own podcast. Yeah, and I think people are. Jeff Ross even told me earlier, you got to let it go. Just he's not in control over you anymore. Yeah. But you know, people ask me about it, and you know, the the fact, you know that. Uh, you know, you know when people bring my 
situation up at the comedy store. I have to talk to him. And, and my buddy was like, well, you're just bitter. And I'm like, I'm not bitter. I'm disappointed in how I was treated by him. Yeah. You know, I'm actually a pretty happy guy in terms No, the way you're saying it, you don't sound angry or bitter. It's just... Well, I'm disappointed. It, it, it's disappointed, and you don't you wouldn't like seeing people treated that way. But I think it's too good to talk about it because you just... The more you do it, eventually it just come, come out of your system. I just don't like when people keep that shit in their, you know... Oh, yeah. And just suffer and be angry about it. Well, I mean, what got me through, like, mm -hmm. dealing with him is, you know, opening up for Rob Schneider. Yeah. Uh, you know, and a huge thank you to Jeff Richards, who who put us together. Yeah. You know, I never... Jeff, another funny guy. Yeah. Oh, uh, Jeff's amazing. Um, I never uh, tied my anchor to just the comedy store. Yeah. Um, so I, although that's where I wanted to get in the most... Yeah. Because I just, it, I think my sense of humor is... is Perfect there. I mean, like, you know, I always like to equate the comedy clubs in the city to bands. Um, yeah. You know, like, I love the improv, but I don't get up there a lot. But, you know, I would say the improv is like, you know, Bon Jovi, uh, you know. What's Laugh Factor? Laugh Factor is like a boy band. Okay. Uh, and the comedy store is like Motorhead. You know, it's like... The, you know, it, it's, <laughs> that's actually pretty good. But it's true, though. It's like Laugh Factory does have the feel of boy band feel. But I and I would love to get. I mean, I probably had the best set of my life there within. You know, I let me take that back. Within the last five years, probably my best set was mm -hmm. uh, Rob Schneider had a, uh, and it kind of relates to Tommy. Um, you know how bad he was for the comedy stores. You know, after Rob was uh, treated like shit by Tommy. Mm -hmm. He started doing a show at the Laugh Factory, standing room only, yeah. whenever he was in town. And uh, I went up there one night and uh, had a really good set. So, I mean, I, uh, you know, I would like to get up there more. But like we were saying, it's, it's to get in the clubs, you have to have the TV credits. Right. And, you know, one thing I learned um, listening to people who are doing really well, if the show business doesn't come to you, then you kind of have to create something on your own. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Rob Schneider gave me the best advice ever, and it's it's like no shit when I say it, but yeah. I think to hear it from someone of his level, you go, oh, okay. I just, yeah, I think I, I auditioned for Montreal like three or four times, and yeah. I never got it. Yeah. And I think he could tell that was starting to affect me. Yeah. Especially the one year I had a call back, yeah. and literally two people got it who bombed on my callback. Right. And although I didn't kill, I, I definitely had a good enough set to get it. Right. And he's like, hey man, you just gotta be, become so good and valuable to the industry that they can't deny you. Right. And it's like, no shit. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's really probably the best advice I've ever gotten. Sure. So... Um, that's what I'm trying to do, you know, and just, that's why I like you to, are doing it. Well, I mean, I, this is the first year in 15 years, to be honest with you, where I feel like uh, I have a shot at, you know, uh, you know, making something happen. Right. You know, I mean, I love doing the podcast and uh, doing shows. Doing shows and uh, and there's a lot of a lot of fucking waiting around, you know. Well, there's just. Uh, I gotta tell you, I don't know how many gigs I got just because I was hanging out at the comedy store the last couple of days, couple what, eight, seven, six, eight, nine days. Oh yeah, I mean it's, uh, you know, I mean that's was one of the good things at the comedy store was I got the the Rob Schneider gig basically through uh, 
hanging out there. Uh, and then, uh, you know, so I, I did get some good things at the comedy store. Sure. But, you know, now the best part about it is when I perform there, it's uh, like, I remember Delia watched me perform there recently and uh, he'd never seen me go up before. Oh, really? So, you know, now it's the fun thing is to, to go up in front of someone like him and not that he can, uh, you know, make me famous, but he, he's someone who could certainly recommend you for a gig or... Yeah, you know, he's a good guy. Oh, he's awesome to me. I mean, he's always very nice and, uh, you know, even uh, that night at the callback from Montreal that I didn't get you yeah. know he was like a yeah, great set man um and then uh you know Steve Renazzisi recently I, Steve's someone I've known for 10 years he's in the league right he's in the league I think he's the new he's in all the um Buffalo Wings Buffalo Wings there. commercials and uh I, I think I saw him um play baseball or something with Brody one time I don't know yeah no he's an awesome dude uh, <laughs> I could be wrong but man both of those guys could throw the ball pretty fucking hard. But, like, I've known him for 10 years, yeah. and up until about a month ago at the store, mm -hmm. he had never seen me go up before. I see. What did he say? He's like, wow, dude, you're really funny. And I had to follow Brody, uh, Brody Stevens, of course, and Brody's, like, an amazing uh, comic, and he's very hard to follow because... Uh, he's a performance artist, too. Well, he's, you know, he's just... Um, you know, it's like a, a rock band trying to follow Kiss. It's, I mean, it's very, um, uh, you know, it's just it's it's tough to follow. Yeah. Because uh, you know he's very high energy and he's got such an amazing uh, presence that you have to be really, 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 really funny to follow him and to not bomb and you know. Uh, it worked out and like when it's easy was like wow man I, good good work so that's really the only uh, yeah it's cool um, well it looks like you're trying to part I'll, yeah yeah I'll end it right here as a part one I'll, really, I'll have a Freddy Freddy Korea release it tomorrow or something when he can do it but he's a huge fan of yours and like oh make sure uh, <laughs> make sure you mention my name I love, I love her all like blah 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 like alright uh, so anyway uh, please listen to uh, Freddy Korea's Thanks for the Invite. And Earl, thanks for doing the part one. Yeah, yeah, and uh, don't forget. Oh, uh, look at something weird. What? Asian girl with the Asian guy. I know. Hi, y'all. Uh, Hi, guys. And uh, Inappropriate Earl Podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. What's your uh, that and your, what's your Twitter? Uh, uh, Twitter and Facebook, Instagram, which I'm trying to get into a little more, is just uh, everything's the same at Earl Skakel, E A R L S K A K E L. And. Uh, Inappropriate Earls on SoundCloud and iTunes. Do you do Periscope too? I'm trying to get into it, but I just I, I uh, everyone's doing it. Yeah. So uh, I I'm not very good at it. You know I was I never even got into Vine. Um, this tech shit, man. I'm people it, always make fun of me because I'm Asian. I don't know, but I really don't know how to do it effectively. But I know you have to do it. A lot of the uh, girls that hang out with Red Band doing stand up, they're very pretty, funny, but most importantly, they're really tech, high tech savvy. Like every time they talk about some new shit, I have no idea what they're talking about. But they like they, they're Mary the cat. I don't know what that is. They're like the perfect example of, you know, like I've been doing comedy for longer than 
than them all, and they have bigger followings than I do because they. Uh, well, it helps to be pretty. Well, right? but I mean, they understand the technology. Right. I don't. So, uh, you know, it's that's the new scene here. Is uh, you know uh, the uh, technological. Uh, you got to you know it's like MySpace. You know, Dane Cook blew up. Sure. Because he was the one guy at the time who. Uh, benefit from it. You know, understood how to work the system and... Oh, and Russell Peter was lucky because the guy who uh, who is uh, Kevin Shea's ex-roommate, Kevin Shea, very funny comedian, his roommate created YouTube and at the time he was mad that somebody was stealing his comedy that he made in 2003, released in 2004, and YouTube made him just, just juggernaut. Yeah, I mean, that's like Russell was, you know, that guy who, who got it and understood... The technology, and now I think it's probably it. with Russell and Dane's success, yeah, um, and, and others certainly. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, what's the next? Is Periscope going to be the next big thing? And so uh, it's just a race to keep up technologically. Red Band is, you know, like the perfect example of he sells out shows um, because he understands the um, you know how to you know not I don't want to say manipulate because it's the wrong word but uh, he understands the trend and also he was smart enough to pick a winner like Rogan you know yeah but I mean Red Band sells out his own comedy shows yeah. uh, which is you know pretty impressive for uh, someone who hasn't been doing it that long comedy right. you know uh, he has a bigger following than uh you know, most comics have been doing it 10, 15 years. Sure. So it's, uh, you know, I better not wait for this guy. Um, so yeah, it's just trying to be like the next red band and, you know, uh, I guess you'd say podcasting is like probably the next, I mean, it's already here, but, uh, you know, the next, you know, wave of what to, you know, latch on to. Sure. And, um, you know, hopefully we uh, we meet on the, the road to success. Yeah. Um, all right, well, everyone, follow Earl. Uh, um, 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 what is this person doing? Oh, pardon me, motherfucker. No, I'm trying to get into that one. Oh, this oh. fat guy. Uh, is he leaving? Oh, no, of course not. <laughs> Jesus Christ, this guy. Jesus Christ, it's the worst trying to... All right, well, uh, talk to you guys soon, and the part two will be when we're driving out of here. So thanks for listening. And talk to you guys soon. Yeah.